Thank you for tuning in to the World Overcomers podcast. On behalf of our senior pastor, Andy Thompson, we appreciate your continued support and generosity. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to receive updates when we post new content every week. If you would like more information or want to make a contribution to World Overcomers or Pastor Andy, visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Once again, that is www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Enjoy the message. We all said together, uh, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Doing right until it feels right. If I can draw your attention to that verse there in verse 45, where Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought the pearl. Have you ever been to an expensive jewelry store? I've never been to an expensive one. I, I've been to some stores. I've been to some expensive jewelry stores. If you've ever been to an expensive jewelry store, you know. You go in. I'm not going to say any name because I don't want to, you know, rep anybody. But, but you go in and you're looking at the stones. You're looking at the rings. You're looking at the pearls. You're looking at the jewelry. You walk in. And they say to you, can we help you? And then you're saying, well, I'm just looking. They're only going to let you do that but for so long. And then if you go over and see something and you're looking at it, you're look have you ever noticed that in an expensive jewelry store, the prices are hidden? Price is on a little tiny tag on the loop down inside in the thing and when they you point to the one that you like and then they pull it out if you're dealing with somebody good who knows what they're doing what they then proceed to do is talk to you about the diamond talk to you about the gold talk to you about the pearl they basically talk to you about the value of the thing without you knowing what the price is. You're trying not to be ghetto. You're trying to look around their finger. You're trying to look close. You're trying to play it off. You're hoping that as they flash it, you will somehow see what the number is. You don't want to just interrupt them and come right out and say, how much does it cost? Because you're in there, you're trying to play cool. You're trying to act like you got some money. And what they do is they describe it to you before they tell you the price. I was in Dallas once for some event. I think it was Bishop for Bishop, and I brought a jacket with me that didn't fit, you know. It didn't fit. It was too big. Oh, hallelujah. It's always better if it doesn't fit because it's too big versus don't fit because it's too tight. Anyway, it didn't fit because it was too big. And I was like, I can't wear this big roomy jacket. I need to go buy a jacket. So I went down to the lobby and asked the guy, hey, I need to go to a mall. He sent me to a mall. My son, Robert, was with me. He was traveling with me, going there to help me. And he sent me to a mall. And he sent me to an expensive mall. I don't know if you've ever been to an expensive mall versus a ghetto mall. Y'all gonna have to talk to me in the room a little bit. There's a difference. When you walk in and you see Fendi and all that stuff, you know right off the bat that it is going to be a high dollar day. When I got to the mall, I kind of, when I got in, I I, I almost was a little bit upset that he had sent me to an expensive mall, but I figured he looked at me and figured he was going to send me to the Gucci mall. And so I'm walking through. My son's with me, and we walked into a store uh, that, had a, that had jackets that were extremely exclusive. Go into the store. And as soon as we walked in, it's a small little store, and as soon as we walked into the store, I could tell that it was going to be a tough day because the prices were not obvious. I need somebody to say something to me. When you start digging all in the thing and trying to pull it out the thing, pull it out the sleeve, when they slide the price tag into the jacket pocket, you know it's going to be a tough day. 
And we're in there, and we're looking at, and they, they, and I saw a jacket that I liked. It was black. It was suede. It was one of a kind. And, and I pointed to the jacket, and I said, yeah, and they pulled it down. They didn't say nothing to me about the price. They just pulled it down. They said, yeah, come on over here. And I went over, and then they took me to the mirror, and I slid it on, and I tried it on, and it looked good on me. And I nodded, and I was like, yeah, all right, this looks good. They were like, you like that? I said, yeah, I like that. They said, all right, let's go to the counter. And I'm like, yeah, let's go to the counter. We go over to the counter. They take the jacket off me, throw it up. They pull the thing out. Bleep! The jacket was over $800. My son, who was with me, said, Argh! and I looked at him like, because I wanted to act like $800 was nothing to me. Although, at the time, I was thinking, okay, now I'm going to have to take a little from my safe. What I'm saying is, is the more expensive a thing is, sometimes the price is not the thing that leads. When you come to the house of God, when you watch uh, something like this, you're in tune in this sermon, and we spend a bunch of time talking about Jesus and talking about a Savior, talking about the King of Kings and talking about the Lord of Lords and talking about how great God is, the more we tell you how amazing the kingdom is, that should help you to understand that it's a valuable thing and there will be a cost. For some reason, we have misunderstood that the more obvious the price, the cheaper the merchandise. If you walk into a store and the prices are on the label on the rack, chances are you're not in a store with anything that's all that valuable. But when something is valuable, we don't talk about the price first. I think one of the mistakes that we've made, and I've been talking about this some to some of the pastors that I'm starting to mentor and starting to lead, is that one of the things that we did in church, those of us who were raised in church, is we only talked about the price. As soon as everybody walked in, they saw the cross. The cross didn't just represent Calvary. The cost of the cross what represented the cost that we expected everybody to pay. We led with the price. We led with sacrifice. And we talked so much about sacrifice that we got to a place where people lost sense of the value of the thing. It's like the debate right now about college student loans. Some folks upset that they're forgiven student loans because some people had student loans and paid their student loans off. But what you have to realize is that the ROI, the rate of the return on the investment of what school costs you is a significant factor in how you feel about the loan. If school costs you $10,000 and you have a job in which you can pay that off, then it doesn't bother you as, you as much. But if you have paid $70,000 a year for an education in which you only make 50 when you're done, then you're going to have an issue not so much just with the loan, but because your return on investment in your education does not match the price that you've paid. You would gladly pay $70,000 a year and have a loan on that if afterwards you made $250 every year. You might feel all right about that. But what has happened is that the price of education has exceeded the return on the investment. 
I'm not trying to be too deep, but the argument that I'm making is that we hit everybody with a price without talking to them about what they got when they paid the price. We led with the prices out because what we were offering wasn't as valuable as it, it, it was more valuable than we saw it and we didn't talk as much about the value. And what I'm saying to you is that in essence, as a result of that, we have created a world now in which we kind of want everything for nothing. This conversation around price and value and even this particular verse trying to do it some justice in which Jesus says, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he went and sold, hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Why sell everything for the field? Why be willing to pay the price for the field? In a day where sacrifice makes us nervous, why would you sell everything to buy a field if you found the treasure already? Instead of having a finders, keepers, losers, weepers attitude, why would you go sell what you have and buy the field? See, if I buy the field, then the treasure is really mine. Jesus says this because if I make the sacrifice and buy the field, then the treasure is mine. Because I own the field, and now I own the treasure that's in the field. And can't nobody come back later and say that I have something that belongs to them when actually it is mine by sacrifice. And since it's mine by sacrifice, I own it. Because I don't know about you, but I want what is mine. I'm going to speak that over the whole room. I want what is mine. I don't want what's yours. I want what is mine. I want what belongs to me. I want the, what God has for me. I want what life has for me. I want to end my race as close to the ideal perfection of God. And I've made a lot of mistakes and I've done a lot of stuff that I regret. And I got off the course. But I'm trying to get God to make all things work together for the good of us who love God. And I'm trying to get back as close as I can to the perfect will of God so that when I end this thing called life, I'll have everything that I was supposed to have and everything that belongs to me. But I've come to the understanding I can't have everything that belongs to me by stealing it. If I'm going to have everything that belongs to me, then I have to be willing to pay the price for it. I sell everything and buy the field because if I buy the field, I can search for more treasure. If I found a treasure on the field, then chances are there may be more. If all I do is want to take the treasure, then I've got to take it and run away like a thief in the night afraid somebody's going to catch me. But if I go sell everything and buy the field, then I can take my time and cover the field and get my radar detector and my metal detector and search because chances are where there's one treasure, there may be more. Why sell everything? Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is looking for a fine pearl and when he finds one he sells everything he has and he buys that pearl why sell everything to buy the pearl well because the pearl the diamond is valuable everywhere sometimes the thing that we have value that's valuable to us is only valuable to us where we are right now. A part of the thing about a 
fine pearl or a diamond is its value isn't measured just in this place. Its value is consistent just about everywhere I go. And the pearl and the diamond can go with me when I move. The reason why I sell everything and put it into something like a pearl or a diamond is so that my wealth can be transferable. So that my wealth isn't connected to a place. My wealth is something that I can have on the inside and I can hide it and won't nobody know I got it. And so now if I have to go someplace else, I can take my wealth with me. My wealth can fit in my pocket. It's not just measured by the space. It's a valuable life lesson that I'm trying to communicate to you and to me and all of us. And that is, it's an extremely valuable lesson. And that valuable lesson is, you ready? I'm putting it on the screens for you. It is, nothing worth having is free. Nothing worth having is free. When somebody says free to you, you ought to get a little bit nervous. Either it's not really free or it's not worth anything. Right now, I don't know about you, but right now, when something pops up onto my computer and is offering me something for free, I get nervous. Very rarely do they really want to give me something for free. Normally, they want my information because your information is valuable. Don't ask me for emails and information and then I, something popped up was going to give me a gift of something and it was going to be absolutely free, but they wanted me to give them my credit card number to pay for a shipping and I couldn't see what the shipping number was. I just got right out of that because I've come to the understanding that uh, from the beginning, when you tell me something is free, it makes me nervous. I want us to take a minute just for a second and reevaluate how we feel about free stuff. There's something about free that ought to really get us to understand a truth about us. Why do we want everything for free? Partially, it's because we have been miseducated to understand the exchange of value for value. When you look at Nehemiah chapter number 8, and I just want to take a look at it really quickly, and I trust you're, you're hearing my point so far. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 1 says, well, all the people came together just like this right here. Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah is someone whose heart is broken over Jerusalem. Very difficult for us to even really relate to Nehemiah because we live in a world and in a space in which we haven't been invaded by foreigners and our walls knocked down and our people carried off and our stuff destroyed. It's those of us in America, we have never experienced this. But Nehemiah goes to his home place, sees the walls of Jerusalem broken down, and he is embittered. He, was, he is upset by it and decides to be something greater than just someone who prays. We don't talk about Nehemiah a lot because Nehemiah doesn't necessarily fit our super spiritual perspective around what the Bible requires. But Nehemiah is a governor. Nehemiah is somebody that uses the political system to bless the people. 
and God's people are impacted significantly, not just by prayer, but by the rebuilding of the wall. I love how quiet it is because we have been taught that prayer will fix it, but as much as prayer fixes stuff, it's tough for prayer to fix it when your walls are broken down. So Nehemiah goes home and he is in the city of God. He is looking at what the devastation that has been caused by enemies and that had happened because of idolatry. And so as a result of that, he is very aware and he can honestly see what has happened to God's people as a result of the loss of infrastructure. And he has the courage to go to the king and ask in the name of God for his city to be rebuilt. He understands that the word only goes so far if you don't have no money. The word only goes so far if you don't own no property. The word only goes so far if you don't have no land. The word only goes so far if you don't have any walls. And many of us, myself included, were sold a wallless salvation. A salvation in which we are exposed to expect God to miracle us blessing without any infrastructure. And I don't know if we quite feel right about right stuff. We almost kind of feel like walls ain't God. We almost kind of don't trust folk that got walls. We don't trust people that got too much savings. We don't trust people that got too much money. We don't trust people that got too much insurance. We don't trust. We were kind of raised to be so spiritual that we weren't any earthly good. And our children don't want to have nothing to do with our God because we were wrong. The book of Nehemiah is a very challenging book because it directly assaults the idea that a relationship with God is enough. The children of Israel had a relationship with God and they had a strong city. And as a result of idolatry, the Babylonians come in, knock their wall down, take over. Now they have no city, they have no infrastructure, they have no wealth, they're sick, they're defeated, they're broke, they're enslaved. They can pray though. And Nehemiah is bothered by the fact that his people are spiritual but lacking infrastructure. I just, my God. I'm speaking to the heavens and I'm speaking to everybody in this room and I'm speaking to everybody to watch around the world. I'm trying to tell you, beloved, beloved, my people, black, white, whatever, Latino, whoever may be listening, I'm trying to tell you, if you're going to trust God for anything, trust him for infrastructure. Could trust God for anything. Trust God for something valuable. Don't ask God to bless you randomly. Ask God to bless you specifically. Make your request specific. Stop making it so deep and spooky and spiritual. And God bless me some way. Get in your mind what you want God to do for you and have the courage to come to a service like this and wave your hand and then say, God, I need you to do something specifically for me. I need a witness in the building. Instead of just saying, oh, I just want the Lord to bless me. I don't just want the Lord to bless me. I'll tell you what I want. I want the Lord to rebuild our walls. I want the Lord to rebuild our infrastructure. I want us to take a step back and admit that we are a devastated people. 
I want us to take a step back and acknowledge and realize and read and realize that we are under the boot of our oppressor. And if we're going to call out to God for anything, we got to call out to him for more than the Holy Ghost in a service. We got to call out for the Holy Ghost in this room to now go ahead of us and get into our everyday lives and open doors for us and make ways for us and rebuild our infrastructure so we can raise our children in some safety. I wish I had a witness in this room. I wish somebody knew what I was talking about. I'm talking about Ezra being bothered by the state of his people. And not just talking to God, but talking to the king. Goes to the king and the favor of God on Nehemiah is of such that the king looks favorably on him even though he does not deserve it. I'm just going to speak that over me. That I believe that God can go before you and speak favorably to the people that are in power and in positions and in politics and the decision maker. I'm believing that the decision makers will look favorably on us and not know why. Oh, somebody got to believe God with me in here this morning. I'm praying for a Nehemiah anointing on us. Nehemiah 8 is a fascinating passage to me because everybody comes to church and they're worshiping and someone stands above everyone that is elevated and reads the scriptures and they all bow down and they all worship. Then when the word comes out, they have to go out to tell everybody and tell them to stop mourning and stop grieving because this is the Lord's day. That this happens so much that we don't acknowledge it. We don't acknowledge that our Sundays are spent in grief. We come to service and we hear the word and there is a mourning that we have. We cover it with praise. We put a garment of praise on for a spirit of heaviness and we're worshiping the Lord and we're blessing God and we're doing it because we need the worship to be good. We need the anointing to be good. We need the presence of God to be good. We need God's power to be good. We need this to be the drug that replaces the drug we used to have or the drugs that we still have. We need this to get us tore up from the floor up because at the end of the day, we don't really want to acknowledge that we are in slavery. We don't want to acknowledge that we are overrun by marauders and our walls are down. Now they have rebuilt the walls and they're coming together and they're teaching from the word and there's grief in the lives of the people because they don't feel right about right. And they come to them and say, listen, don't weep, don't mourn because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I know that most of us have heard this passage, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we used to sing a song that said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the idea of it was, well, give me joy. You can have the world and give me joy. I got joy, unspeakable joy. I got joy, unspeakable and full of glory. I got joy from the service. I, I went to church and I got my shout out and I got the joy of the Lord. And I get that, but that's a nice idea. But the word strength means fortress. So, the idea that the joy of the Lord is your strength, sure, sure. Joy in a service, hallelujah. But I'm suggesting for our consideration that joy 
is reinforced by a fortress. Hard to have joy with no walls. You in this room, and if you have a year's worth of salary saved, you got more joy than if you broke. If this message has blessed or encouraged you, feel free to visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast and learn more about WOCC or donate to the ministry. This enables us to continue to impact the kingdom in the best way possible. I wish I had a witness in the building. I just need a couple of honest people in the room that can say to me, Pastor Andy, I will tell you, I do sleep better if I have some money in the bank. Can I just, I do sleep better. I do. Now, I'll praise God either way, but I'll run around this room if I got some money and if I've got some savings, if I've got some property that's worth something, I've told God that if you think I'm praising you while I have nothing, bless me. Make me debt free. If you think I'm generous when I have some, then when I owe, God, see how I'll be when I don't owe. For whatever reason, this is hard for us to acknowledge because we have not been taught to feel right about right. We have not been taught that building a fort is a part of the Lord. We've been taught, just have that joy and go on out the rest of the week and have joy like a drug. Instead of being taught that real joy comes from knowing where your next meal will come from. Now, I know we love to be in a service like this and say, didn't God, and you don't know how God is going, you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. And hallelujah, if I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills, and if God might pay my bills when I didn't, and if God made a way where there seemed to be no way, I will definitely bless him for that. But I would also like for God to lead me and guide me so that I actually can see a way. thing about forts is fort building isn't fun. Fort building has a price. <laughs> fort building has a cost. Fort building takes something. And we're living in a world now in which we almost want to just be happy about fun stuff more than we want to be happy about work. Beloved, we are chasing pleasure without understanding that real pleasure comes from a fort. I don't know if you ever built a fort when you were a kid, but there's something on the inside of you that wants to build a fort and make your pillows and your, and your cushions and hide behind your cans. What is that? It's a natural instinct on the inside of you to be surrounded with some kind of protection besides your voice. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. And for us to understand that fort building isn't necessarily a fun thing. Last Sunday, I talked quite a bit about the tithe and about tithing, and I said why I tithe. I gave you some reasons. I'll tell you why I tithe again. I'll throw them on the screens. I'm just about done. I said the first reason why I'm a tither number one is because tithe to me is insurance on my money. The Bible says, God said, if you, if you tithe, then I'll rebuke the devourer on your behalf. So I need the devourer rebuked. I need God to keep what I got safe. Now, I've got insurance on everything else. i got insurance on my house. i got insurance on my car. i got insurance on me. I might as well have some insurance with God on my resources. So the tithe to me is me saying, God said, tell you what, if you give me my portion, then I'll guard what you got. One first reason why I tithe. Second reason why I tithe is because it's an investment for me. 
And I'm always looking for ways for my money to grow. I'm always looking for what I have to become more. I'm always saying, okay, God, bless me and make me able to sow seed that will come back to me greater, not just in the kingdom, but in life. And to me, tithing is a, is a muscle faith builder. So I tithe because it's an exercising of my faith. And if I have a hard time giving a tenth to God, then I'm going to have a hard time separating a tenth to save. I'm going to have a hard time having a piece that I invest. If I get too into the habit of eating my seed, then I'll always be without seed. It has to do with me feeling right about right. I said last week, the third reason why I'm a tither is because I believe in the vision. I believe in the kingdom of God. I believe in what the church is doing. I've come to the understanding that Jesus came to do two things, to destroy the works of the devil and to establish his church. Now, I'm so excited if the anointing and power of God is able to destroy the work of the devil in your life and in my life. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. But to establish the kingdom... To establish the church, it's a higher level. It's another step. It's a step that goes beyond you and me. Goes beyond just my individual life. Through my tithe and my offering, I get to live forever. Through my tithe and my offering, my life counts for something more than just the 80, 90 years I was here, how much I accumulated, what I left to my children, what I leave to the kingdom so that the kingdom will survive death. Now, when the Bible talks about us having eternal life, it doesn't just mean eternal life in heaven. It doesn't just mean eternal life on the other side. It means that you have left a portion of yourself behind you that keeps on giving. I talked about why I tithe, and I got a lot of great responses, and a whole lot of folks gave, and praise God for that, and I'm believing that everybody that gave, and everybody that gave the 135, I took everybody through the math. If you weren't here, you can watch the sermon last Sunday. I talked about how, why I tithe, but I didn't talk about how. How do I tithe? Let me tell you how. The way that you tithe is through habit. Routine. Most of us who tithe, tithe habitually. Just about everything that you do, you do habitually. If you brush your teeth, you do it habitually. You've ever seen anybody without brush teeth? It's because they're not in the habit of brushing their teeth. You pay your bills, if you're in this room and you pay your bills on time, it is because you have a habit of paying your bills at a certain time in a certain way. If you're in this room and you're in shape, it's because you, it's not because you went and joined a gym in the new year. It's because you took the truth of your physical health and you made it habitual. You got into a habit of a routine of walking in the morning, working out in the evening. You got into a routine of habit that affects your life long term. Our lives are ruled by our habits. If you eat right, it's not enough for you to eat right once. If you're going to eat right, and you're going to drink water, then you have to make drinking water a habit. Because Chick-fil-A is a habit, and Popeye's is a habit, and McDonald's is a habit, and Five Guys Burgers and Fries is a habit, and Starbucks is a habit. And there's good habits, and there's bad habits. 
And what we, what we have to understand is the things that we do consistently have become habitual. So we habitually go to Starbucks. We habitually eat fries. We habitually eat candy, help us Holy Ghost. We habitually bathe. If you bathe, you bathe habitually. Talk to me. Get up, you take a shower. It's just a part of what you do. It's a part of your morning routine. And if you, if you don't bathe, it's because you never got into the habit of bathing. Don't go to the dentist, you never got into the habit of going to the dentist. You don't go to the doctor, it's because you never got into the habit of going to the doctor. It's one thing to be inspired by a concept, set us all together to institute it as something that you do consistently. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. So when I talk about giving or tithing, and I talked about tithing last Sunday, and, and, and it was, it was yeah, praise God for it, but it's like it's one thing to talk about it in an inspirational way, something else altogether to talk about how it actually gets done. The way that it actually gets done is that you do it habitually first. If you pay your mortgage on time, you do that habitually first. Makes sense to pay your mortgage before you pay your light bill. Because it'd be better to be in your house with no lights than on the outside seeing lights in there. <laughs> better to be in your house with candles than on the outside looking at somebody else with lights in your house. So you put it first. Because it is something that you do habitually. The reason why God asks for it to be a first fruit, the tithe off the top, is not just because it's a first fruit special thing. Sure, that's a part of it. But also because God understands how we are. And if we don't do first things first, then there won't be anything left. As soon as you get your check, you got to right off the top, you got to do the things that you got to do first. And if there's something left over, you eat out. You will never save unless you save first. <laughs> Not just tithing that's first. It's mortgage paying that's first. It's car note paying that's first. It's electric bills paid first. It's insurance that's first. And after all of that is first, then you get to eat some chicken. But you shouldn't be eating out chicken and don't save money. I know this is not a shouty, runny, screamy message, but this is truth anyhow. Part of the reason why we're in so much debt is because we don't do first things first. We have to feel right until right feels right. If you're waiting to feel it, you won't never do it. What you have to do is you have to start to do it when it don't feel right. It doesn't feel right to sit down and make a budget because we don't feel right about right stuff. We have been trained by the rich to give them all of our money through bad habits. I'm just gonna wave and talk to something. I'm, I'm, I know it's a hard message because it's the truth about us, but we don't have because we are habitually eating our seed. And it's what they want. They want commercials in front of us all the time. They want us to walk into a Target for milk and leave with a TV. That never happened to your mama because your mama went to the store with her money in her bra. Okay, anyway. She didn't have a check card with all her money in the world on it. There was a set amount for milk, and there was a set amount for TV, but we are constantly impulse 
shopping. I wouldn't mind you doing that if you did first things first. That'd be great if you owned your own home. That'd be great if you had paid off your debt. That'd be great if you paid off your credit card. That'd be great if you paid your mortgage. That would be great if you paid your bills. That would be great if you invested some money. That would be great if you had saved. I wouldn't have no problems with you. If you had given first, if you had tithed first, if we can flip our perspective. I was reading an article that was saying that the, the education to pleasure ratio in America is 50 to 1. For every $1 we spend on education, we spend $50 on pleasure in America. For African Americans, it's 200 to 1. I know this is tight, but it's right. It's a hard word. Lord, help us, Jesus. The truth of the matter is that we are in love with pleasure more than we are in love with safety. We are more in love with food. We are more in love with bling than we are with walls. We got to change this, beloved. We need the anointing to fall on us. I'm going to make everybody clap for that. We need the anointing to fall on us. We need to feel better about insurance than we feel about jackets. We need to feel better about a life insurance plan than we feel about our car. We need to whip hoopties until we own our own stuff. We have got to feel right about right. And we have been trained not to. God help us. God forgive us. God heal us all. The only way for you to fix that is to do right until it feels right. If you're waiting for me to preach something to you to make you feel right, that does not how it works. How it works is you start doing right until it feels right. It'd be better to do right and feel wrong about it than to do wrong feeling right about it. I don't want to get too confused in there. How can it be wrong when it feels so right? Well, the challenge for us is that we don't feel right about right. My prayer is that our approach to right will change and that we'll realize that even this matter of tithing, giving to the vision, giving to the church, doesn't just say something about the tithe and our faith in God. It says something to us about us. It says something to us about us as a people. It says something to us about us as a group says something to us about us as a culture. That if I'm going to be a tither, it's going to be because I did it routinely. It's one of the reasons why we were doing this whole campaign in the month of September, and it's called Automate the Important. The reason why we got these Automate the Important cards everywhere and videos on automating the important and making giving easier for you is because we acknowledge that it's hard to do it until you're doing it. You start to do it, and then the more it's done, the more right you feel about it. You feel right about work because you work. And the more you work, the more right you feel about work. You don't feel right about work not working. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. Get sit on the outside and look at other people with jobs and feel right about work. You only don't feel right about work if you're not working. That the start is doing right, not feeling right. And we're all going to have to be prepared to walk in a season in which we kind of don't feel right because we weren't trained to feel right. So that we can say, okay, I got to feel differently about the supermarket than I do now. Right now, the supermarket is a problem. 
But I need to realize that what I paid for this lunch, I could have bought dinner for everybody. That I've got to come to grips with my wrong feeling about right things. And I got to ask God to fix me on the inside. Get my feet to walking. The more I walk, the longer I walk. My prayer for us, beloved, not just as a congregation, but as a people, as Americans, as African Americans, as Latino Americans, as white Americans, as Asian Americans, is that we will come to the understanding that we have been trained improperly. We have been taught to be a mark. And a part of what we have to do is take a hard look at where we really are and automate the important. Your mortgage payment ought to be automated. Your rent payment ought to be automated. Car payment should come out first. Your tithe should be a part of that first fruit thing you do. You won't do it if you don't do it first. And you won't do it if you don't do it routinely. The routines rule. Once you get a routine going, it's hard to break it. My father is 76 years old, and my dad has been praying at 5 in the morning for over 40 years. He don't pray at 5 in the morning to impress nobody. He prays at 5 in the morning because he started realizing that time with God in the beginning of the day was the only way he was going to get it done. And so he started praying at 5 in the morning because he wanted to do it first. And he's been praying at 5 in the morning so long that now at 76, when he needs more sleep, it's hard to get him to stop praying at 5 because he don't pray at 5 to impress nobody. He don't pray at 5 because you like it. He prays at 5 because 5 a.m. praying is his routine. You don't do right things until you do right things. And you do them till you're doing them. And if you want to live longer, start doing right before you feel right about it. And you will find that right will catch you after you're doing it. Let me pray for you. Lord, I've done the best I could today to share truth that's challenging for us to walk in and hear and and God I, I'm so glad that you have given us truth from your word and I pray God that we'll walk in that truth and walk in the light as you're in the light and have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ your son will cleanse us from all sin thank you for living so big in us today thank you for the truth that's in the word of God and it's more than just spiritual truth. It's practical truth. And God, make us practical. Get down on the inside of us. Fix our infrastructure. God, fix our heart so that we might actually walk this thing out in truth and not just walk this thing out in mouth. Oh, God, change our whole mindset. Oh, God, change our whole routine. Oh, God, change our whole perspective. Make us tithers, not just tithers to the kingdom. God, make us tithers to the kingdom, but God, make us do first things first. Fix us. Inspire us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. We all sit together. Can I get you to give really quickly? Can I get you to give to the work of the kingdom of God? And we're going to throw this thing up and you can give to, to, to the mission, to, the, to Victory Park and, 
This is our tithes and our offerings and our offering. And if you did not tithe today, I'm challenging you to tithe. We have these little automate the important cards, and it's just automating it, making it easier. So many of us who tithe have just automated it. It just comes out at the beginning. I took everybody through the math last Sunday. If you need an offering envelope, you can simply raise your hand. One of the gatekeepers will come to you and give you one. You can take a picture of that QR code, and you can give to the work of the kingdom of God. I said last Sunday, the median income in the Raleigh-Durham area, we're in North Carolina, by the way. I don't know what your income is, but the median income in this area, $73,000 a year. That means the tithe for the household is seven grand. Seven grand a week is $134. $134 divided by seven is $19. The tithe is not that hard. Tithe from your gross, not from your net. We had our vision celebration. A woman came up to me and said, Pastor Andy, I heard you talking about tithing, and I decided I was going to tithe. I said, all right, praise the Lord. She said, I realized I needed to tithe from my gross and not my, not my net. I said, praise God, sweetheart. She started tithing from her gross. She said, within a matter of a couple of months, stuff was happening. She was getting checks in the mail and she was getting refunds on, on medical bills and she was like, what is going on with this? She said, oh my God, I started tithing from my gross and God started to bless her in such a way so she decided to believe God. She said, all right, Lord, well, I've got this director over me and I don't like him. He don't know what he's doing, but Lord, I don't want to pray against him because I don't want anybody hurt. So instead of asking God to move him, she asked God to move her. She said, God, just move me. God, just bless me. Leave him there, but just bless me. And as a result of her prayer, God did both. He put in his two weeks notice and was gone in two weeks and they didn't have anybody so they gave the job to her. And even though she didn't have the education to do the job, they gave the job to her. And she went into a director's position, making six figures, simply because she dared to put God first. There's so many testimonies like this. Anybody looking for God to bless you? If you're looking for God to bless you, then you've got to buy the field. You can't worship God with something that costs you nothing. There is a treasure in this field, but you've got to buy the field to get the treasure. You do that when you tithe. You do that when you give. You do that when you're faithful. There is a cost to the wall. You gotta build the walls to have the joy. Well, let's pray for this offering. Lord, I just want to thank you and praise you and honor you for this moment, for this teaching, for this time, for this service, for this sermon, for this moment and we ask you to take this offering and multiply it supernaturally to the upbuilding of your kingdom lord we're believing for this victory park god we're about to build this building and we know where we're going and we are rebuilding the infrastructure of our people it's more than just a worship space it's a space god that has marketplace kingdom implications we pray, God, that you make us faithful, make us consistent, make us strong. Everybody in the room, everyone watching live around the world, make us faithful, make us consistent, and we'll praise you for what you do, what you say. You're worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. We all sit together. God bless you as you give. Bucket passes you. You can just sit tight for just a second. I'm going to pray and dismiss you. So glad you came to worship with us. So glad you came and tuned in with us around the world. We had this vision party on Friday in which we talked about where we're headed. We're going to have a vision Sunday that's going to happen first Sunday in November. I'm just going to have a vision Sunday. Talk about where we are. Let everybody know you want to be here. We're going to give a good serious update on what our next steps are and what's happening as a church together. No, first Sunday in November. What is that? The third? Somebody looking what that date is. Sixth. November 6th. First Sunday in November. Let everybody know. Vision Sunday. 
but our party on Friday night was awesome. We had a great time. The lobby air conditioning unit decided to stop working the very day we had the party, which is just awesome because it just means we got to get out of here. <laughs> Everybody was in there hot and sweaty. Hallelujah. It just means that we have been in these buildings long enough and we ain't trying not to fix another thing. You see something you don't like? Yep, that's right. Why don't they do something about this? That Because we out of here, that's why. This door is like, yeah, because this is not ours. We are done fixing on somebody else's space. We have decided there's no place like home. Amen. We're on our way. And we want you to go along with us. And when we get there, we don't want you to say, ooh, look what y'all did. We want to say, look what we did. Look what we were able to come together to do. And I need you. Jump on your feet. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for another day. Thank you for another Sunday. Thank you for communion. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the presence of the Lord that's in this place. Thank you for the challenge of your word. Thank you that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. We pray that you dismiss us from this place, but never from your presence. Thank you for the visitors that were with us in the room. Thank you for the visitors that watched around the world. God, we pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our rock. You're our redeemer. We love you. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday. Hopefully you were blessed and encouraged by this message. Visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast for more information on WOCC and events that are coming up. Maybe we are coming to your area soon. God bless.